millions of people still revere the king of rock and roll. They play his music, sing his songs, dive into bad impressions of the man. Millennials born decades after he died, which if you don't know, he died in 1977 at the age of 42, may not know some of his most famous songs, but they still know his name. After all of this time, we have an entire culture that has been bent by this man, Elvis Presley. But for all of his number one singles, there were 18 of them and 11 that were in a row, all of his hit albums... Uh, and all of his previous influence on popular music, Elvis Presley's life and legacy was complex, particularly in the terms of his Christian faith, which he claimed to adhere to, but he didn't always follow very well. I've read many biographies by those closest to him who had said Elvis was always conflicted with his relationship with God. He always wanted to give his talents to God, but the world was too tempting to resist. By all accounts, he was deeply religious. He, he once said, I believe in the Bible. I believe all the good things that come from God. And I don't believe I'd sing the way I do if God hadn't wanted me to. For Elvis, Christianity and music were intimately intertwined from the beginning of his life. His mother, Gladys, says, um, in, says in his story that even as a toddler, Elvis would wiggle on her lap during services, dash in the front of the church, and watch the chorus sing, sometimes imitating the chorus's moves. But while the gospel music was huge, while, or yes, but while the gospel music was huge, enduring part of Elvis's life, the gospel message sometimes got lost in the shuffle. Writing to the gospel music magazine, Cheryl Turbel described Elvis as a spiritual seeker, And while Elvis brought the Bible with him everywhere, he read the autobiography of yoga and the prophet as well. In Peter, in in this guy named Peter's book, Careless Love, the, the unmaking of Elvis Presley, his last few months were largely spent in seclusion. His only company was a ray of all of these spiritual books. And he went on to say, all I want to know is the truth, to know and experience God. I'm a searcher and that's what I'm about. What we're talking about tonight, and and I bring up Elvis just to say that he loved the gospel. He loved the gospel music. He loved the sound of it. He loved how it sounded when he sung it. He loved how many tickets sold when he brought people to to hear it. Maybe some of your leaders have seen Elvis in person. I don't know. Is he that old? Are you guys? No? Elvis is super. Well, my mom loves Elvis. She saw him. Um, But here's the challenge for us that Elvis presents and that Paul is going to address today. Are we gospel-loving in our words and our principles, but when, other, when people look at our lives, they see it's disconnected from the gospel's transforming message? Do we say all of the right things like Elvis did and all of these multiple people who have uh, said you know, all of these things about Elvis? Do we have this beautiful life that we would love to put on display, but in our private times, we're not being transformed by the very message we claim to follow after? Because for Elvis, he loved the gospel, but he was lost in sin and he was lost in his success. And if you guys know, he was succumbed to the very life that he had built. Do we, uh, he had a, or yeah, he had the world, he had a good life, but he was not seeing the very God that he was seeking after. And so the question is, how was he seeking after God? How are we seeking after God? Many people even, you know, many people ask, you know, whether it's on Bridge Bible Talk or maybe you've just talked to your friends, I want to draw closer to God in this season. How can I do it? Right? 
And the scary thing is, listen to this, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the wickedness of the people who suppress the truth in their wickedness. That's very scary. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes or invisible qualities, his eternal power and his very divine nature, all of who he is, has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. But here's the thing. Here's the invitation for us here tonight. Apart from a revelation of who Jesus is in our lives as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the things about God are great to talk about, but they seem impossible to practically live out. The things of God seem beautiful to say when we're struggling or awesome to put on a bumper sticker or an Instagram post, but in our quiet times, we are struggling to believe that there's any power behind the very words that we speak. And that's a scary reality to live in, to believe that, yes, Jesus was a person, and the Bible claims that he was the very word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us, but we struggle to believe that that reality transforms or has any standing in our lives today. We need, other peop- we need for other people to see the transforming power of Jesus declared in the words we speak and in the lives that we live. And if not, we, we, yeah, yeah, if not, we're looked at as hypocrites, right? We're looked at as people who post all of the right things, but then when they hang out with us, we're just doing things that are totally against what the Bible calls us to do. Or maybe even as a community, we hang out with one another, but we're in our own little silos in our minds. You know the idea, right? When you go to church on Sunday, and then as soon as Pastor Lloyd finishes, you just run out. Or you hang out with all of your friends, but you still feel alone in your mind. We as believers, as as a community of followers of Jesus... Our beliefs need to translate into how we live. And if we don't know what that looks like, I mean, I'll talk about it today. Paul lays it out to the the church in Ephesus here of the things that they should take off and the things that they should put on. But our beliefs, are our beliefs becoming the life we live? Oh, oh, yes, my notes confuse me. But following Jesus shouldn't just be something that is a fad or something that we just grow in and out of because some of us grew up in the church, Right? Some of us grew up going to church, saying all of the right things, but then we were terrified to share our actual lives with other people. The fact that Jesus saved us from sin isn't just something that we look forward to, going into heaven, hanging out with him on the clouds. He's went to, like, I even heard my mom uh, quote, because today's her birthday, she shared with somebody today, she's like, uh, you know, God went to go, or God went to prepare a place for you, so hopefully we all get there. But then how does that translate to how we live today? See, salvation from sin isn't just a heavenly promise, but a here and now reality that we are called to live out. And so the Bible defines what that looks like. Another way to say this, for those of you guys who love uh, some interesting words, our orthodoxy, which is right thinking, which is, you know, we just got done with the, the uh, the series on the doctrines, our orthodoxy, needs to align with our orthopraxy or our orthopraxy. So we need to have right thinking, but we also need to be living a life that people can model after that point them to Jesus. Our right thinking needs to translate into our right living or the lifestyle of Jesus. Orthopraxy is the correct correct conduct, both ethically, liturgically, 
There you go. I'm smart. Um, as opposed to faith or grace, the orthodoxies make, uh, make a use of codified beliefs in the form of creeds, in the form of, uh, or, and ritualism, uh, more narrowly centered on strict adherence to a prescribed rites or rituals, right? We talked about the Apostles' Creed. We talked about these are like the essential doctrines made easy, right? Norm Geisler. That is orthodoxy, right? Those are the things that we say, these, this is what we believe about who God is, about what Christianity is, and how we should live in response to that. And orthopraxy, in contrast to orthodoxy, emphasizes, or which emphasizes correct belief and ritualism, the practice of these rituals, the word is neoclassically compounded from the word of orthopraxia, meaning right practice. That's Greek, right, Jay? Yeah, got some Greek in here. And then orthopraxy is focused on the issues of family, cultural integrity, the transmission of tradition, sacrificial sacrifices, concerns on purity, the ethical system, and the enforcement therefore. So in short, our thinking needs to align with the way we live our lives. So my question to you guys is this. Searching our hearts right now, does everything we believe align with the way in which we are living? Do we say one thing and do another? Are we ones who could probably quote the Bible backwards and forwards, but if we were to look at our lives when no one else is looking, that's not something we would want people modeling after. Our pr- my prayer for us tonight is that the Lord would give us a fresh revelation of who he is found in his word. And so verse 17, we jump back into the verses that we read. Paul says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their thinking. You see, you see what Paul does there? Just in that first verse, we can pause here for a sec. I'll give you guys some context on the book of Ephesus. But Paul in verse 17 combines the way they are living with the way that they are thinking. You see that. So if you guys are new to the book of Ephesus, Paul, you guys can read um, Acts chapter 16, gives us a lot of context on what is going on here with Paul. Paul had planted this church. He had seen these people being transformed by the gospel in which he was preaching. There's this beautiful moment in which all of their pagan worship, they laid before uh, their feet and they, they burned all of it. Because, because Ephesus was a port city, which meant tons of people, like picture like New York or picture um, just a melding, I guess New Jersey would kind of be like a port city, right? Yeah, so a melding pot where there's so many different types of people, so many different forms of belief, so many different upbringings and cultures coming together. And so, so many people believed in so many different things. And there was, there was one God above them all, and it was the God of fertility. That's the word, I think. They worshiped sexuality. They were very spiritual in this time. And so Paul is saying to this church now, six years removed from Paul visiting this place, he is saying, uh, yeah, he is saying to not be like the world around you. This is Paul's challenge here in verse 17 alone. Because we see in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, separate from or separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. See, now this is a heartbreaking thought. They're darkened in their understanding and separate from the life that God has on offer for them. Now, does this sound like the world that we're living in today? Right? We can just pause for a second and reflect on this. 
Do we live in a time where people think they have it all together, but they are so far removed from life that God has to offer for them? So far removed from the life or the, the definition of who they are in God's eyes, and yet they think they have everything together. I, I you know, I, um, my, my younger sister is like this, where she seems to understand the way in which she should be, li- be living, but every time she asks me about Christianity, she's confused as to why I'm happy while I have a headache. She's confused as to why like the kids are screaming and we're still smiling because she seems to have all of the answers and yet she is struggling with depression, struggling with uh, mental illness. And I see here, and it breaks my heart when Paul says that they are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God. We live in such a world where people think that they can be their own gods, figure life out on their own terms, and are wondering why they're struggling with all of these things that God, does not, that God did not design for them to, to have. In verse 19, we see, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. They've lost touch with reality. They're they are just completely disconnected. They are, some translations put it, they have no sense of shame. Or because they were callous, they have chosen to choose, that, um, choose the way that they're living and saying, this is the right way, despite what comes my way, despite what anybody convinces me of, despite any other way in which I can be happy. This, it's like my way or the highway. And we live in such a world where everyone seems to understand, like, it's a very, um, uh, what's the word? Um, we're in like a season of autonomy where everyone is their own God. And you ever run into a person who thinks they have it all together? When you think you have it all together, you're having a low moment and you're just like, I'm the coolest thing in the world. The world revolves around me. And then you meet another person who thinks, I'm the coolest person in the world. The world revolves around me. Maybe not like in words, but maybe like if we're driving on the highway and we're going 60, somebody's going 70, we go to cut them off. And we experience that, that tension that gets created when we lose sense or when we lose all sense of what God has called us to be, of how God has called us to not only look at him, but look at other people. We start to see people as roadblocks. We start to see people as just a stumbling block for the life that we want to live. And yet God has called us to those very people. And so if community isn't hard for us, if we're not allowing for all of who we are to be shared with the community that we're, well, you know, obviously with discernment there, like not just like let out all your dirty laundry. There are some people in community who do that, who they're just like, here are all of my struggles, deal with me. And it's like, okay, tone that back. Talk to like one or two people. Don't let the whole community know all the things going on. But Paul here is speaking to a Jesus-centered community and is challenging them to not allow for anything that, anything that, um, that the world has to offer in their lives. Looking back at verse 17, right? Where he says, no longer live as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their thinking. What Paul here is trying to challenge them with, and we'll see when he calls them to put off these specific things, it's to give all of themselves over to what God has for them. Because if not, we lose all sensitivity to the very thing. And God will allow for this to happen because he loves us. He says, if you want to go that way, that's fine. Go for it. 
I have a plan that leads to life, but if you think that's your best route, I love you enough to let you do what you want to do. He's not going to whip us into shape into his plan, but he's going to try and woo us with a community, with, with a beautiful community like this, with a beautiful church, wherever, you know, whatever church you're a part of, with words that lead to life and life to the full. But if we want to deny those things, God's going to say, that's fine. And sometimes that's the most loving thing to do, to let somebody go their way, try whatever they want to try, and see how far that gets them. And we see that they are consumed with who they are. They think who they are is how they feel. But we know that that is not, that our feelings are deceptive. One t- one, sometimes we feel one way and sometimes we feel another. Again, just like that opening illustration, thinking about Elvis, right? He, he knew all of the right things, but he chose to live however he wanted. And yet the very things that he knew could have changed the very life that he was living. And it's heartbreaking when, we, uh, when as we grow up, as we mature, we don all of these things, and, and it's like little beautiful things that if we allow to take the place of God, they begin to overcome our lives, whether it's finances, a relationship, our feelings, maybe even for some community. And we make it an idol. We put it in the place of God. Those very things will consume us. And if we're not careful, we can be following after the wrong things, even in the house of God. Talking to somebody and not really listening to them, waiting for them to just shut up so you can tell them about how you're doing. Have you ever talked to somebody like that, where they're like looking beyond you, not even listening? They're like, yeah, so anyway, I like cut somebody off today and I really need to get that off my chest. Like, thanks, man. I just told you that my cat died and you weren't even listening to me. You just wanted to tell me you cut somebody off. We know these people. But Paul says... And Paul is going to challenge for the way we treat other people to be transformed by the very God we claim to serve, love, and know so much about. And that's why we, that sometimes the most beautiful picture of a follower of Jesus can be found in a child without responsibilities, without things that are fighting for their attention other than their attention span. But they just get it. They're like, if now is the time to worship, I'm here to worship. If now is the time to color a Jesus picture, I'm going to color a Jesus picture. But, but, but then, like, as we get older, we're like, we're sitting in church, and we're like, oh, I got to go to that family lunch later on. Lloyd, can you say amen? Jeez, these, rela- these announcements are so long. Like, I'm pretty sure they messed up on that worship song. That's a weird Bible verse to quote. And we're just sitting there, like, completely lost, not even listening to what God is trying to say to us because we're talking so much at him in our minds and in our hearts, right? And so the challenge that Paul, is going to, uh, that, that Paul is going to lay out here is for our life, or it's to understand that the life we live and the thoughts we have are connected, right? The Bible challenges us to hold our thoughts captive. If not, we'll be captivated by our very thoughts and led away by our very thoughts and feelings. So the challenge for us, as he's talking about thinking that we have it all together, thinking that we can just keep a little bit of sin in our lives and we can control that, is to understand that if we have all of this understanding, right, but we don't truly, or we, not, we are not fully in love with God above ourselves, we begin to live a life that doesn't point to Jesus, but it points to more things that divide us than bring us together, right? Pastor Jay even said, behold, 
how beautiful it is for the brothers to dwell in unity. If we don't start with beholding who God is, right? Our very church's mission statement is exalting the Lord, equipping the saints and engaging the culture. Sometimes we forget to exalt the Lord and we come to church exalting ourselves. And then we wonder why people don't want to talk to us or we're just totally okay with like not being connected. And then when nobody invites us to things, we're like, but what about me? We just play this like double-edged sword of like, woe is me, but everybody should love me, but everybody doesn't seem to love me. And we just get sort of caught in this loop with us in the center. And then we go back to the challenge that our very church invites us into, exalting the Lord first above all else, beholding who God is, and then recognizing how broken his church is, but how beautiful it is that he's the one who holds us together. Not the very thoughts we have about other people, not the, you know, not the, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But <laughs> getting back to my notes here, we can know much. But as Paul says in another one of his letters, if we don't have love, it's pointless, right? He says in 1 Corinthians 13, but, not, but to not have love, I am simply a, a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. And so he invites us to, to to set our hearts back in the right place. So the question I have for you guys is this. Does our understanding of who God is, right? All of these doctrines, does meditating on these things draw us closer to who God is? Draw us closer to getting to know how beautifully infinite he truly is. It's crippling if we think about it, but it's beautiful that he's just like, come and get to know me. Because I know all of who you are, and I want you to get to know all of who I am. Here's a little piece. Ah, mind blown. Yeah, I had, to, I had to hit you guys with a weird sound to just kind of. There's this beautiful illustration. I've shared this with some of our Ignite leaders if they're here. But if you guys love the Chronicles of Narnia, there's, um, there's this book, The Silver Chair. And one of the characters talks about this idea of this unquenchable thirst that she's experiencing in Narnia. It goes like this. The birds had ceased singing, and there was perfect silence except for one small persistent sound, which had come from a good distance away. And now she, being Jill, that's the name of this character, listened carefully and felt almost sure that it was the sound of running water. Jill got up and looked around, for, uh, looked around her very carefully, and there was no sign of the lion. And there were so many trees that it might easily be quite close without her seeing it. But her thirst was very bad now, and she had plucked up the courage to go and look for this running water. The wood was so still, and it was difficult to decide where the sound was coming from. It grew clearer and clearer every moment, and sooner than she expected, she came to an open glade, saw the stream, bright as, uh, bright as glass, running around, or running around the turf's stone, a stone's throw away from her. But although the sight of water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward to drink. She, should, she stood as still as she could, but, and, had, and she had been turned to stone with her mouth wide open, and there for good reason, just on the, uh, just on the side of the stream lay the lion. How, this, how long this lasted, she could not be sure. It seemed like hours, and the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion if she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. Now listen to this exchange. If you're thirsty, you may drink. Now for a second she stood there, or she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. Then the voice said again, if you're thirsty, come and drink. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a, a sort of heavy, golden voice. 
are you thirsty, said the lion. And Jill said, I'm dying of thirst. And the lion said, drink. She says, may I, could I, would you mind uh, going away for a while? The lion answered, this only by a look and a low growl. The delicious rippling sound of the, no uh, the noise of the stream was driving her frantic. And Jill asks, do you eat girls? And the lion says, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, says the lion. Now, he didn't say it as though he was boasting, nor as if he were sorry, nor as if he were angry. He just simply said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step closer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. And the lion says, listen to this, there is no other stream. Now, I tell you this story because C.S. Lewis beautifully illustrates this idea of the majesty of God, the invitation of Jesus, and how we should properly look at our relationship with him. We need to have the, 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 um, the right perspective of who God is to live out and walk with who Jesus is. C.S. Lewis illustrates this. We all have a thirst in our souls for something that only Jesus can offer to us, but it needs to be coupled with a right reverence of who God is. The real issue in right living is do we start with what we could understand or do we start with all over who God is? Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 9.10 puts it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There's this beautiful, yeah, I just, I mean, I just, I love that story. So, second point, getting into verse 20 here. The me my message title was, how then shall we live? Well, Paul begins to answer this for us. If we have the right, if, our, if we understand that our life and our thoughts are connected, if we have the right perspective on who God is and the invitation that Jesus offers us through the gospel message, Paul then begins to define how we should live allowing for our beliefs in who God is to transform the life that we live. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life in which you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught, about in, or were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul uses a lot of this in, through, and it's important. I, I like highlighted it all throughout my Bible. Verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So again, I repeat, I repeat the, the thrust behind this message. We need to allow for our beliefs in who God is to transform the life we live not conform us to a set of right practices that give us an attaboy and a thumbs up to other people where we check off all the boxes of like, I went to church today. Everybody saw me and it was great. And Jesus is like, but were you really there? Like, oh, well, don't ask me that, Lord, right? Were you there in body, but not in mind? Because your mind was just already 50 steps ahead. Are we allowing for God's presence to be the very thing or, or to be the very thing that we need? Like, that's it. Because then that begins to redefine the community that we have, the friendships we have, the relationships we long for. But if we just shortchange God's presence, then the life we live starts to look a lot more like disappointment and disorder 
and disarray and other disword. But not, yeah, I, could, I, I ran out of words to riff off of, but a lot less what God has called us to. And the crazy thing, the heartbreaking thing, the deceitful thing is we see even in the garden that Satan used these very tactics, tactics to quote the very truths that they would have believed and understood, but then twists them, distorts them, offers them, uh, offers them a position like God, but on their terms. And they're like, well, I never thought about that. And before they can even go to God to reconvene with like, God, let me just meet with you and make sure what he's saying is aligning with what you're saying. Saying he's like, no, 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 no. Just, just do what you want. Don't even think about it. And if we're not careful, if we're not second guessing our own thoughts, feelings, uh, you know, our past, our present, our future before the Lord, those very things can be leading the life that we're living if we're not careful. And so Paul here in, in um, where'd I go? In verse 20, he invites us to understand that first off, the way of life, or to remember the way of life in which we have learned. Now again, Paul uh, preached the gospel to Ephesus and their lives were transformed. Do we have moments in, which, in our life where we've forgotten where we've seen the very power that raised Jesus from the dead actively working in our lives? For some of us, like some of us get like tattoos and stuff to remember things. In the Old Testament, they had giant rocks to just be like, God showed up. Because sometimes we need that big of a reminder to remember what God did because so quickly we forget about how faithful God is. And we get wrapped up in the fact that, or, or in, in trusting our, in our own strength, right? And so Paul here says, remember the way of life you have learned. When you heard about Christ, you were taught about him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Again, he, Paul is trying to bring them closer and closer to who Jesus is. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. I've always loved the idea that Pastor Lloyd shares where when you get saved, there's still some old data that you have to deal with. But if we ever stop going to the Lord and saying, Lord, what is it that you're working on in this season? If we ever stop going to him and asking him, Lord, what more do you have for me? If we ever stop standing in God's very presence, where the, 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 the deceitful things start like fleeing away because they, they can't stand before God, what starts to happen is we get led away by the very things that we think uh, or that Jesus has died for. And so that's one of the, the questions tonight in small groups to think about. Are there things in our lives that we've just let take up residency in our hearts, in our minds, in which Jesus died for and said, you are more than those things. You are more than those lies that you're telling yourself, more than the, the, that past hurt that you're holding on to. I died for that. I've redefined that and I want to use that. But if you hold on to it, I can't do anything with it. I'll let you hold on to it. But I'm going to continually remind you that I died for it. And he says in verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. Paul invites us to a holy attitude adjustment. And simply by remembering your old self, remembering where that got you, remembering what brought you to this place, the contrast of what uh, 
what you allowed for yourself to be led by and the invitation for Jesus to be led into life that is truly life. He says, remember the old. Don't like burn your past, purge it away and just never talk about it again. Your past is who you are. When we, as, as the Lord works on my past, he continually gives me more and more opportunities to share in the present what he wants, like the, the future realities that he has for people. And so if we, if we just never share our past with people, there are some things that God wants to redeem in our present to present his future kingdom to a people here and now, which is like a crazy thought to think about. But we live in a world where it's like, like even, um, I remember, uh, I, I forget where it was, but back when I was in uh, high school, somebody's screen name was Leave the Past Behind. It was my wife's. But <laughs> it was her. But that's the, that's the mentality. That was, that was BC, like before Jesus' day, or BJ, but never mind, uh, before Jesus' days, right? But leave the past behind is the mantra that the world offers to us. There's nothing good there. Just leave it. Live for now, right? But then what are we, we, we may be living for now, but what is the thing that is driving our lives? Because I guarantee you, as Paul invites us to, if we leave anything any stone unturned, not sharing those things with Jesus, those are the very things that may be leading our lives. And we may think in Jesus' name that we are doing all of the right things, but we are living in our name. And not for nothing, people who are, are walking in the Spirit sniff those things. And they're just like, you smell like you. You don't smell like Jesus. You're not leaving a fragrance of Christ. You're just leaving a fragrance of division. You like planted a seed of like, doubt in this person, you just discourage that person, like that person doesn't like you, I'm talking about you too now, so like, that is just not good, right? And so we need to check ourselves, as Paul says in verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of our minds. And then he invites us in verse 24, to put on the new self that has been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so that how then shall we live, Paul begins to define. And it's not by the power of our flesh. It's not by the things in which we can understand. I'm going to start riffing off my notes here. So in verse 25, Paul goes on. Let's read this. Therefore, which I have highlighted in green, thanks to Jay being my pastor. Every time you see a therefore, you ask the question, what's it? There you go. Thanks, Jay. So therefore, each of you must put off the falsehood. Now listen to this, because he's going to begin to start defining these things. If you're note takers, let's just look at the things that we should take off and look at the things that we should put on. He says, put off falsehoods and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. He goes on, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Satan can do a lot with a little. All you need to do is just give Satan a little bit of yourself, and he's got all he needs to keep you separate from God. And so Paul invites us here to not allow in our emotions, right? He says, don't even let the sun go down. Jesus would say in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you have anything against your brother or sister, don't don't leave a sac or like literally leave the sacrifice at the altar. Go and make things right with other people. He says, if there are other people who have things against you, leave that sacrifice. Go and make right with that other person, even if it's not your fault. 
You see, Paul here is riffing on the same thing in which Jesus is trying to make us understand is that we are one people. It's not like me in a room of other people. It's we are under the blood of Jesus Christ, unified by him. And so if there's anything that, think, that I think makes me better than you or you lesser than me or better than me, and we just live in a life of comparison, maybe thoughts I have or things I've heard about you, God, or Paul invites us to just get rid of those things, not allow for uh, Satan to give or, or Satan to have a foothold. He goes on, anything, uh, verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work and do something useful with their hands that they may have understanding or they may, well, I don't know where I got, they may have something to share with those in need. Paul is inviting people of the church to not be greedy in your minds, not be greedy with your possessions, to ask the question, like maybe we need to just go to church and ask, where's a need? Maybe we need to just go to the, the gradient leaders tonight and just say, how can I help? As opposed to how can you help me? If we start looking at the church where it's like, yeah, you know, I, I've always heard the church is a hospital. So like, <coughs> what can you do for me? You know? If that's the heart we have behind, it, behind following after Jesus, I got to tell you right now, you're following after your feelings. And you're not looking for Jesus to heal you. You're just looking for the church to give you handouts. And yet Jesus invites us to not be, um, yeah, to not be served, but to serve in response to the love that he has offered to us. And so stop stealing other people. I mean, Paul even says, I think, in, in first, uh, Second Corinthians or First Corinthians, where he's talking about communion, where if we, we can have the wrong perspective on the very beautiful things that are supposed to point us to who God is. They were stealing communion and people were going hungry. And Paul was like, stop that. Like, that's, that's like the long short of it. And I told my, I, I shared that with my middle schoolers. And I remember we were literally about to teach those passages and we're going upstairs to go to the teaching and a kid literally steals like the gluten-free communion, which I was like, if you love the, if you, if you love the taste of the communion and the other things, the gluten-free is not that much better to offer. Anyway, uh, I'm losing my words there. But so Paul says in verse 28, anyone who has been stealing, steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with their hands. Young adults, I think we need to hear that. Do something useful with yourselves. So often you just, we just get so, and I say this because I'm also a young adult. I was driving over here to, to share God's word, and I have a headache. I'm tired. I, it was my mom's birthday. We were at Texas Roadhouse. The dinner went too long. I'm like, Mom, you know, don't, don't you know I got to do holy things? And I'm just so wrapped up in myself. I didn't say that to her, but I thought it. So, like, I'm confessing to you guys now in real time. But what I'm doing there is stealing from being present, and I'm just so wrapped up in my preferences of how I want the situations to go. And I'm not paying attention to the fact that, you know, my mom is stressing out. I'm not paying attention to the fact that it's just me and my parents and my, my daughter. My wife wasn't there. My son wasn't there. It was a unique moment. And I lost it because I was wrapped up in my preferences rather than God's presence trying to invade the moments in which I was in. So if we believe God is omnipresent, then the question we have to ask ourselves is, when we are allowing for Satan to have a stronghold, maybe in our mind, maybe in our thoughts, maybe in some relationships, maybe in some private things that we're doing, God is present with you in that. He wants to break that stronghold. 
and allow for those things to not steal the joy that Jesus offers to us. Allow, the, uh, allow for Satan to not steal away the peace that Jesus offers to us as the very Prince of Peace. So in verse 28, we, we read on, or verse 29 rather, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to, the, uh, according to their needs, that it, may be bene- or that it may benefit those who listen. People who live in New Jersey hear this. Sarcasm is not fruitful talk. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but I just get so like frustrated with like this culture of passive aggressiveness and uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was for you. <laughs> That's a good, like that was a Holy Spirit cast, but I don't know. That, that wasn't for you, but God knows. So the Bible invites us to let every word that comes out of our mouths build other people up. Because Jesus was intentional with his actions. He was intentional with his words. And so Paul challenges us to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths because you guys know the verses. Out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. So if we're allowing for even a little bit of Satan to creep down there, it's going to start coming out in the things we say. It's going to start coming out in the way we treat other people. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's just a powerful verse in and of itself. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of those things in verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Unfor- I, I forget the quote, but you guys will know it because you remember better than me. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting for the other person to die. I get that, that, that's, that's about the quote, right? And the invitation here in, in being kind and compassionate towards other people, at being kind, compassionate, and forgiving is to be exactly what Christ was like to a community of people who need to be reminded. Like, I love the fact that the Bible repeats itself. Because again, these are, these are spelled out principle, or these are spelled out uh, prescriptions, but we see these principles carried all throughout Scripture. This isn't like a, a revolutionary thing for Paul to lay out to us, because he's riffing off of the very life that Christ lived, and he's saying, if Christ died and forgave us, then you should just forgive other people. If Christ was a nice guy, why are you nice to other people? It's like, whoa, when you put it that way, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that makes it pretty clear, right? And again, there's no prescriptive way in which we should live because if we're just, if we're just soaking in the presence of God, every moment of every day will, imbund- or will become abundantly clear exactly what God has called us to do. Somebody cuts us off, not beeping at them, not speeding up to them and like giving them a Jersey hello, right? Like, like, like that's, just, that's just one example, you know? When our mom calls us the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, uh, maybe the fifth time, if it's really important, uh, she'll call again, right? Going to a family party on purpose with asking yourself the question, Lord, how do you want to use me here? Not, Lord, get me through this. 
or maybe even in a conversation on Sunday, right? Or, or a conversation on Thursday where it's like somebody eyes you and they start walking over and you're like, oh, Lord, just guard me with your hedge of protection, Father. Guard my ears. I just don't want to hear it, Father. And it's like, hey, how's it going, right? Then we just put on like the, the fake like, ah, oh, it's Sunday and I'm wearing a name tag. So, hey, how's it going? God bless you. How are you? Or we see somebody like in like, like a parking lot or something like that. Paul's challenge is to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving, which forgiveness is the, is the point in which cuts deep because that's not something that you can do. That's, that's something that you could say like, hey, man, like, sorry, I did that, or I forgive you. But we know when we're holding on to bitterness in our hearts and that, as Paul says, in, literally in the beginning of uh, chapter four, that's not unifying. Let's look at verse one real quick. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling in which you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father over all, who is, o- or who is over all and through all and in all. He's over it. He's in it. He's through it. He's all of it. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as the Lord has appropriated, has, or has, has been given as Christ appropriated it. The beautiful thing that should unify all of us It's not the thoughts we have towards other people. It's not the gripes that we're holding on to other people, but it's the fact that we are all forgiven, right? The the Bible, the church, is the very place in which unity should should be seen with every individual, with every conversation. And again, the church should literally be a declaration to the world that God is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. It's something, you know. But if we're not unified, if somebody, if somebody knew, like if you bring your friend to church and somebody walks by and you're just like, hate that guy, you know, like, or, you know, hate that girl, or we're just walking by and it's just like, you, you just hear other people talking about other people. I mean, we know the, the tension that, that, that gets created in that, but the Bible paints a very different picture of who God's people are. And Paul, as he says in verse 17, as he says, as we looked at tonight, is trying to get us to look inwardly, to humble ourselves inwardly, and to love outwardly with the life that we live. And so the, the, and to understand that there are things that if we try to look a lot more like the world, that Satan's going to just get a foothold, keep us away from experiencing more and more of Jesus in our lives through the very people that he's called us to share it with. But the heartbreaking thing is that it. It shows division in the body of Christ, but the body of Christ should not be divided. And so to close, as Pastor Lloyd said this to us recently, but if we just simply focus on what God, or or I mean, he just says, you handle God's business and he will handle yours. There are so many things we worry about that even that Jesus would say, I've got those things covered. What's next? But if we stop going to him and saying, man, God, like, I don't know if I'm going to pay my rent this month. He's just like, got it. Don't worry about it. 
there's a check in the mail and you're just like, I don't see it, Jesus. And he's like, I do. Don't worry about it. If we just focus on the things of God above all else, as the Bible says, if we seek first the kingdom of God, all the things that we think we need, all the things that we think, yeah, all the things that we think we need, Jesus just says, those are the things you want, but what you really need is me, more of me, spending more time in my word. And so again, the, the, the invitation is to just focus on the things of God, focus on the way he defines community, the way he defines family, he defines friendships, he defines confession, he defines who he is, the, the beauty of his word. So often, like the, the biggest challenge is when we go through seasons where we think God is not speaking to us, right? Where we're just like, you know, I want to do what God wants me to do, but he stopped talking to me. He hasn't. Because, like, there's literally a book on your lap or, I guess, an app opened on your phone where he's just like, I'm trying to speak. Have, have you spent time just listening to me? No, Lord, I've got things I've got to handle, and you're just not helping me with these things. And he's like, if you haven't worked on our friendship, why do you think, like, I'm not disconnected from you. It's you who are disconnected from me. And so, to close, a, a verse and a statement. Because <laughs> I'm going to get good at closing. The life that God has called us to live starts with knowing that he is the greatest thing that we could ever live for. And that's the invitation that Paul, I keep talking about this invitation here, but that's what we have to realize is the life that God has called us to live, or the life that God has called you to live starts with knowing who he is. Starts with knowing he is, there you go, the greatest thing that you could ever live for. Paul would even say in another one of his letters, I consider all the things that I've learned garbage compared to just simply knowing him. How beautiful he is, right? He even says it, uh, earlier in Ephesians, he's just like, I just want you guys to focus on the height, the depth, the width of the love that he has for you. That should be the only thing that we focus on. And when we focus on that, we realize that that's the greatest thing that we can try to understand in the day by day, try to figure out and live out and how that looks, probably the greater the difficulty, the more the, the greater the call for us to just humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need you. To come to him in prayer, right? Me and my wife were just praying before this, and my prayer was just, Lord, have me recognize where, where the strength of transforming hearts comes from. Because it's not my words. It's not my abilities. It's spending time in his word and realizing that he has the ability through the power of his word, the death and resurrection of his son, the beauty of who he is as creator of all of us here in this room, the creator of this church, to not only unify us, but empower us to love other people, to humble ourselves in thoughts, to humble ourselves in actions, to search ourselves in humility and say, man, Lord, I just need more of your presence. I can't do this without you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. This is an inheritance. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith, or who through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of his salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have, been, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come in the power of genuineness of your faith, 
of greater, or these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined, even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I'll, I'll stop there. I, I mean, I could just read the whole book of First Peter, but I really wanted to focus on verses three and four there. Do we understand that if we follow after Jesus, and not even like Nicodemus understood this thought, right? This idea of new birth, being born again. If we believe that, and we could try to understand that, but Jesus invites us to just walk with him to see the life that he has for us, the hope that is alive in us, but it comes through, again, there's, another, there's one of those action words. It comes through understanding that Jesus rose from the dead and he offers to us in, de, in deposit, or in, um, in, um, through the Holy Spirit, we get to experience a little bit of what is to come. And so if we're here tonight and we've said with our words, we're followers of Jesus, but maybe not in our hearts. Maybe we haven't believed that. I want to pray uh, in just a second here that the Lord would see your heart crying out to him that you've said it with your mind, but you maybe you've never said it with your heart. You've said, oh, yeah, Jesus is great. I've been baptized. I've done the whole thing. Gradient's great. But in your heart, you're disconnected from him. You've allowed for Satan to take up some residency in your heart. You've allowed for some of your flesh to just have a little bit of control when no one else is looking. It's okay to do A, B, and C. And you think those things are okay. Well, Jesus says, I've died for them. Those things don't define you. And if you think they're not defining you, they probably are. Because we could trick ourselves into believing or thinking anything. But Jesus invites us to be transformed by who he is. And so are there things that we've been living for that are not producing the life that God has for us? That's the big question here tonight, is we should live in response, not in reaction, not trying to make God, or make God happy with us or trying to uh, build, a, build the life that he wants for us. The way we're called to live starts with just sitting at his feet, soaking in his presence, just stepping out and seeing the people right in front of us, seeing the community right in front of us, the church, the family that we're given, and not saying, Lord, why me? But Lord, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to use me in this? What do you have for me in this for me to see more of you through this? So let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word offers us a hope that does not disappoint. Father, I thank you for your son who offers us a life that is worth living, that'll never disappoint us. And Father, I pray here tonight that if there's anyone who's said with their lips, praise be to God, but they don't know how to live that out, or maybe in their hearts, they haven't been honest with you. There are some things that they're holding on to, some, some things that they're allowing for Satan to just have dominion over, or, or even themselves to have control over. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone who's just giving or, or holding back a little bit of themselves to you here tonight, that, Father, they wouldn't work hard to show those things to you, but, Lord, they would just start with saying, Lord, search me. Having an honest uh, invitation to just be known more by you. Father, you know all of us, but you invite us to simply have a recognition that you are an all-knowing God who sees our hearts and wants for us to see how, how, uh, how beautiful you are, so, Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who 
who's holding on to some things. Father, see their hearts. And I pray that they would not only cry out in their minds, but cry out in their hearts, Lord, search me. Search my heart. Stir up those things. And Father, I pray that if there's someone that they need to go to here tonight, maybe forgive them. If there are some things in which they need to share with a leader, that they would be open and honest with those things and say, I believe that these things have a stronghold over my heart. I believe that these things are leading me in a direction I don't want to go. These things have led me in a poor direction. I think they could again, but I want to follow after Jesus above all else. And so, Lord, let us be a community that seeks first your kingdom. In the things we do, in the words we say, and how we build each other up, Lord, in our public and our private lives, Father, let us, like Paul, be able to say, we are living a life worth imitating because all we're imitating is Jesus Christ himself. And Father, let us soak in your transforming word and let us see this community, or this, uh, yeah, this community, Lord, our young adults group, Father, our lives, our families, our church. We just need a fresh revelation of who you are and a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit and begin to just do a fresh work in all we see. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, begin, continue, and for some, begin to transform the lives that we're living. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.